You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and a welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T.J. Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. That's Let's Talk Torah gmail.com. Let's Talk Torah gmail.com. And now Rosh Hashanah is right around the corner. I mean, we're right there. It is Monday night. Um, those who have to prepare, those who I actually gave a speech recently about it, just to, just the point to be aware that Rosh Hashanah is coming is part of the preparation. You can't just wake up and say, "Here I am." You're you, you're just not ready. And those of us who have to prepare the prayers and the chauffeur blowing and the speeches and and. Uh, just all the things that happen and, the, of course, the mothers and the wives or the cooking and baking. And there's lots of things happening. We get ready for a holiday. So hopefully we're all preparing. What is fascinating is this week's Torah portion, which is actually one of the smaller ones because it got split. Sometimes it's two together called Nitzavim Vayelech. This week it's only Nitzavim. Um, that just works out in the calendar when there's a... Sabbath, the Shabbos between Yom Kippur and Sukkos, so then you need an extra Shabbos. That's just what's what's happening over there. But in any case, so this week's Torah portion of the Tzavim starts out fascinating, and it's a it's really, I believe, very much connected. It's like very timely. So let's take it slow. So. Moses gathers everybody. We're at the last day of Moses' life. He's going to give a last speech. He's going to talk to everybody. He's going to tell them who they are, what they are, what they're responsible for. And he starts out saying, you're all standing here today, everybody. And he's going to make the second treaty. The Jewish people had made one treaty earlier. Now they're going to make a second treaty. This is a treaty between the Jewish people and God. When did we make the first one? So the first one was made by when we got the Torah. Actually, in Parashas Yisro, in Jethro, it talks about how they prepared, how the Jewish people prepared themselves to be ready to receive the Torah. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the next Torah portion, it seems to go back in time and talk about receiving the Torah again. Because there were two things happening. In Yisro, we were talking about how we prepared ourselves in three days, separated from wives, and, and we washed our clothes, and we made boundaries. That was preparation number one. But the other preparation was actually a treaty between the Jewish people and God, and God and the Jewish people. What was this treaty? So the treaty was that we won't exchange God for another idol, and God won't exchange us for another nation, which is a very powerful, important concept. Because otherwise, first of all, maybe I could say I want out. And the answer is you cannot. And number two, we, and 
God set it up this way, we don't want God to have it out. It's true when the Jewish people do things wrong, they are punished, and that's our history, and we're in exile, it's all true. But at the end of the day, we want God to be connected to us, and we are connected to God. That's what we want. So, uh, something happened. We lost out on that connection. We lost that connection. How do we lose it? So again, following the Torah portions and Yisro and Mishpatim and Moses up on Mount Sinai for those first 40 days and 40 nights. And what happens is that um, the Jewish people do the sin of the golden calf. We had many people, whatever, it wasn't even so many, but uh, 600 people, they made a golden calf. The Jewish people didn't put a stop to it. And somehow, and I, I'm, I've never really been fully understanding, but that broke the original treaty. Perhaps part of breaking the treaty was when Moses came down with the two tablets, he came down with a luchos, and he broke the luchos, so maybe that had an effect. And this treaty that we made got smashed. Like if, that, if, the, if, the, if the Ten Commandments was sort of the written contract, um, so it's broken. Now, that can't be fully true because when we get the second tablets, the treaty is not really back yet. Right? The treaty won't come back till this week's Torah portion, the very end of Moses' life. Moses is a fascinating verse. He says, you know, after 40 years, you can figure out something. You can understand your teacher after hanging out with him for 40 years. You could do that. So Moses has been hanging for, with the Jewish people for 40 years. Now he says, you can understand me. Now they are ready for the second treaty. So, um, and clearly in the verse, the verse says that this treaty is binding not only on the people standing here, but even on the people who are not here today. So, you know, I asked my class, I said, if your grandfather made a deal with me that, uh, I don't know, if I'm nice to you, you have to give me a dollar a month. So what would you say? Or let's say it was a great-grandfather. Great-grandfather's not even alive. So what would you say? I would say, very nice deal that my great-grandfather made with you. That's his problem. He made the deal. So he's responsible. What does that have to do with me four generations later? And we are way past four generations later, right? We're talking 3,300 years ago. We are talking multiple, multiple generations. Is it 100 generations ago? Yeah, you could do the math and figure it out. I actually believe it um, could be around 100, maybe 105. Again, yeah, some people live longer and less, but my, one of my kids was very into the, um, these genealogy charts, and there, there are certain places where there are charts that go all the way back. You try to connect in, it's sometimes easier, sometimes harder. A hundred generations. I'm responsible for a hundred generations. I don't know who these people were. I don't know five generations ago. How could somebody five generations ago tell me what to do? Uh, who's going to force me? What's going on? This is really a very fascinating question. It's how did God make a treaty with the Jewish people? How did Moses make this treaty? And this becomes a permanent treaty. So this is really a, a, uh, an important thought. So answer number one has to do with our soul, with our neshama. This is 
I almost find this to be from the easiest of the answers. And we're going to talk about the different answers because I think they're important for us. But the easiest answer is that my soul was there. It's uh, how many souls there are. This is a concept I was telling my class. Um, for the most part, um, nobody gets a fresh soul hot off the press. It's not the way it works anymore. Um, as far as I know, um, all souls are reused. I don't know if that's a nice phrase, but uh, my soul is not original. And we've talked about people, they've done uh, some fascinating um, testing with hypnosis, and they can get people to speak languages that they shouldn't know. And as if, you, if your soul was in France 150 years ago, they can get you to start talking French. And they can get you to describe what you're seeing, which is obviously not nowadays. So there's definitely something to it. Um, so the, if my soul was there, which again is an interesting concept, a little bit holy, but God made the treaty with my soul. So I'm only alive because I have a soul, right? It's a partnership. My body is one part. My soul is the other part. Soul can't really fulfill anything, can't do mitzvahs, can't study Torah, can't be kind, can't give charity. Um, I'm only alive because I have a soul. So the soul is is... I hate to say the word life force, but if that word works for you, or just use soul, that also works for me. So God made this treaty. Moses made this treaty with all the souls that eventually would be part of the Jewish nation. By the way, that includes even somebody who converted. His soul was also there. When somebody converts, it says he gets a new soul. We had a, we had a convert on years ago on the show, and I asked him if he had a new feeling when he converted, and he claimed he did. So who am I to... Uh, to uh, argue, but um, fine. That's simple answer number one. Here's, I don't want to call this an easier answer, but you want to talk about straightforward where it's like too bad. Um, God doesn't need my permission to obligate me for anything, right? God created the world. God created me. He's in charge of the world, whatever he wants. You don't have to listen, but then he could punish you, right? He doesn't even have to reward you, but then what would have been the purpose of the world, right? We're taking this a little fast, right? God wants to do good. He wants to do good to people. To give us something that we get unearned has no value. So he created a, a system where we could earn reward. We can become closer to God. We connect to God. Our souls will benefit from God. But at the end of the day, I have to listen to God because God said so. Not because I made a treaty with him, and if I don't agree, I don't have to do it. It's no such thing. So what happens? Our forefathers were given the opportunity to make a two-way treaty. Right? That's what God did for us. That he gives them the merit, that they can make the treaty, and now we're all in it um, together. So he let us volunteer. But he didn't have to do it that way. So forgetting about the souls were there, not there. You had a choice. You had no choice. You had no choice. You could, you could very simply learn God wanted the Jewish people. He said, end of story. It's all over. You're my people. You're my nation. I'm your God. This is the way history is going to be. All because of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, it's to your benefit. That's a second answer. How I could be obligated on a treaty that... I wasn't there, and I didn't sign. Let's take a third way. Also pretty simple, pretty straightforward. And that is, God says, 
when he took us out of Egypt. He said he took us out of slavery to become his slaves. Now, we're not slaves that, that, he, that he's making us, uh, I don't know, work the field and, and uh, get the firewood and get the water and heat up the water and all the things that a slave could do, right? He's not doing that, right? We, we believe we're free. But God says you were slaves. I took you as my slaves. If you're my slave... Your children are my slaves. Your grandchildren are my slaves. We're all God's slaves because he took us out of slavery. And he didn't take us out of slavery and say, you're free to do whatever you want. He took us out of slavery and said, you're my slaves. Very good. So if God takes us out of slavery and says we're his slaves. So again, if the great-great-grandparents were slaves, nothing frees me, right? There's rules and regulations for slaves being freed. And God ain't freeing us. And if he's not freeing us, then we're automatically obligated to do whatever he says. So again, God didn't need my permission. God didn't ask for my permission. Um, this is the setup. Okay. So that's three so far. Here's another one. And this is, there's two of them. I, I think they're going to be, they may be fairly similar as I let it cook through my brain, even though I prepared it. But we'll talk about it. So there Barbanel says, and there's something to think about, that multiple times the Jewish people tried to get out of this responsibility, and it never worked. For example, in Spain, um, even in the 1300s, many, many, many Jews converted. And the idea was, I'll act, yeah, but they will be Jewish at home, they won't be Jewish at home. I know all the romantic stories, and we've said some of those romantic stories because they're very beautiful stories. But at the same time, with all those romantic stories, overall, um, the Jewish people had decided they weren't Jewish anymore. They decided they were Christian or Catholic. right? So they, they wanted out. Didn't help. They set up, well, they threw, anybody who wanted to be religious was thrown out of the country. Everybody pretended they wanted to be a Christian or Catholic. They stayed behind. But the, 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 the Catholics, the bishops, they went after anybody whose blood wasn't pure. And I, I know that phrase. Again, I'm not a Spaniard. I'm not from Spain. But there is a phrase, whether it's Latin or Spanish, about pure blood or not pure blood. And it's referring to all these Moranos that have Jewish blood in them. The story even goes so far nowadays that um, when the Germans, when the Nazis were trying to, they did invade Spain, or they were going to invade Spain, but they told Spain, we want your Jews. So they said, we can't give them to you because there's, there's probably Jewish blood in everybody here. Nobody knows they're Jewish. But, but there's, the blood is flowing through everybody's veins because everybody wanted to pretend they're not Jewish, and, and, uh, and for the most part, they were harassed. And they were tortured and killed. Um, there is a city, I don't remember all the details now, but there was a city in Spain where it seems the, the, the Catholics would not marry this certain area because they knew that there was Jewish blood in them. So I'm not sure what happened. Many may have moved to Israel. It's a, whatever, it's a story for another day. I think we talked about it. I can't remember when. Okay. But now we're going to take it a little step further, right? It didn't help the... The German Jews were famous. They wanted to say, I'll be a Jew at home, and I'll be a non-Jew in the street, and I'll act like a non-Jew. And as they also wanted to be like everybody else, and it didn't work. Eventually, Hitler came along, 
and he rooted out anybody who had Jewish blood. He was killing people that didn't know they were Jewish. They found in their in their history that there was a grandparent that was Jewish. The kids didn't even know, and it didn't help. The Germans said, "You're Jewish. We're gonna kill you. You are not religious. You didn't know. You act like a good Catholic or Christian. It didn't matter." Right, so it doesn't help. Okay, fine. But now I want to talk about an Akeda. And this is a very, very, probably powerful thought, you know, just amazing thought. Till now we're talking about there's a treaty as if I have a choice. Do I have a choice? I don't have a choice. Does it help me try and get out of the choice? But the Akeda says very interesting. The Akeda says um, this treaty is not a treaty that you think of that we sit down and we sign a document, and we have the rules and regulations written. The Akeda says that this is the nature of the world. What do I mean that this is the nature of the world? Oh, I took a pen that doesn't work. What do I mean that this is the nature of the world? So he gives a, a parable. He says, imagine you have a king, and the king has many ministers that work for him, and these ministers, it's almost like a family business. As once you're a minister for the king, you can inherit it down to a child, to a grandchild. So you'll have generations of kings and generations of ministers all working together. As long as the ministers are loyal to the king, the king will protect them. You have to imagine that ministers... Right? Since they're powerful and they work for the king, you automatically are going to have enemies. That's always that way in politics. Right? I want your job, therefore I'm your enemy. Then I'll get your job, then I got enemies. That's, that is the nature of the beast. So these ministers, just imagine that the first generation was massively loyal and the second generation was amazingly loyal. The third generation doesn't feel like being so loyal anymore. They already think they're big shots. They think they're important on their own. And now... They don't need the king. So they, I don't know if they rebel or they're just not loyal, but now the enemies can start sharpening their knives and the king is not going to protect them. So the Akedah says, this is us. This is the Jewish people. We are God's chosen people. We are special. So since we serve God, God says, great, you're under my protection because you are my special people. Well, what do you think happens? So the world is jealous. Right? The world is unhappy. The world wants to kill us, but God protects us. We're good to go. But if you decide not to serve God, so God's not protecting you. So what do you think happens? Holocaust happen, inquisitions happen, destructions of temples happen, Lots of things are going to happen, but all these things that happen are our fault. And as we had the protection, and now we lose the protect protection. Very, very simple, and uh, and and nothing to be done, I guess, for the most part. So when we talk about this treaty, it's interesting. There was a second treaty to create this concept, right? Maybe it was something we had to be informed of more than a physical, handwritten document for a treaty. But Moses is saying there is a treaty here. You have no choice. You already were, you accepted God's Torah, you, expe you accepted to be special, so you are special, but now because that it brings jealousy to the world, the only way you'll be protected is if you keep your part of the bargain. And that, I think, really gives us a good feeling 
for the Rosh Hashanah holiday, which is now upon us. Because what are we doing on Rosh Hashanah? The main focus of Rosh Hashanah is that we say God is king. It's almost like we we reestablish. We blow the shofars like blowing trumpets, like by inauguration. We are re reaffirming that God is king. Hello. That's the whole point of everything we said till now. So I'm reaffirming. So now God says, okay, you accept me as your king. I automatically have to protect you. You are my special people. I automatically have to take care of you. That's the treaty being reestablished every year, even just to, for the, you know, I hate to say, you know, we're, we're, we're special on Rosh Hashanah, we're special on Yom Kippur. And then what happens? We uh, get lazy as the year goes on. That may be true. And we may not be as perfect as the year moves along. But at least we take that opportunity to refocus who and what we are on Rosh Hashanah, on Yom Kippur, to r- remind ourselves. I don't, we don't have to remind God, right? But to remind ourselves who and what we are and that there is a treaty and we're responsible to do what God says. So you do that on Rosh Hashanah. It's the best time to do it. So it was interesting. I was uh, I was studying with somebody last night, and he says, you know, Rabbi, I got my Rosh Hashanah Machzor in front of me. That's the book with all the special Rosh Hashanah prayers. Why don't we uh, just glance through it? So I said, you know, great idea. So the first thing we did, he actually had his own pages he wanted to look at. We were on the phone, but I we had the same copy. So I want to tell you a very beautiful piece of poetry, which is debatable if we use that piece of poetry or not. It's called which means that we had a younger sister. And the chorus line is, the year with its curses should end. Uh, the next paragraph, the year with its curses should end. So there are many who feel that that line, maybe we shouldn't say, or the whole piece of poetry. And obviously some people like the poetry. And I can only imagine where it came from, right? If you lived in Europe and you lived during pogroms or you were in Spain, Inquisition, being hunted down and and the time of the temple's destruction, the time of the Romans not letting you study any Torah and they were also hounding you and and all the multiple exiles during Europe being thrown out of this area in Germany and that area of Germany and in Poland and out of Poland and, and France and burning, all these things you can only imagine. The Jew in exile, the gullish Jew Felt like, you know, who knows what tomorrow's going to bring. Huh, I made it through last year. God, please make it a better year than last year. But really, I think sometimes we need to refocus. It is true we are in exile. It is true we are not home. It is true it's not the way it's supposed to be when the Messiah comes. All true. But maybe God did a lot of good stuff for you last year. Maybe there's a lot of things you need to be thankful for. And to go ahead and say, all that good stuff that God did for me last year, uh, forget last year and all the curses. But what if it wasn't all last year and all the curses? What if there was really good stuff last year? right? Again, last year for some people was a massively hard year with corona and COVID and, and people dying and relatives, but a lot of people were healed. And a lot of people did well. And a lot of people had good things happening to them. So how do you know to say, is it appropriate? Is it a nice thing to say that, you know, could have been a better year? Could it have been? Are you are you sure you're unhappy with all the things that happened last year? Are you sure you don't want any of those things? So, so for that, I think it's important 
that when Rosh Hashanah comes, yes, there is that piece of poetry to say, yeah, last year, in the rearview mirror, forget about it. But maybe sometimes we have to sit back and say, yeah, last year, some good stuff last year. Good things happened to my family. Maybe somebody got married. Maybe somebody had, a, had something good happen to him. Maybe you completed something that you wanted to complete. Maybe you were able to pay your bills. Maybe you fed everybody properly. You have a roof over your head. There's a lot of good things. I'm not saying everything is perfect. I'm not saying everybody wants to go through a COVID again like last year. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is that we need to remember that there were a lot of good things also, and we have to be thankful for it. So ask God, continue the good, and give me more good. And here comes the music. So I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, for one of the sponsors and listeners. I can't do it without you. Thank you, one of the production team. We have, uh, Dave, we have David and Andy in the back. I hope I've listened to Food for Thought. Until next time, I'm Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it.